Welcome to Amadon Planet. I'm your host, Joel Amadon. Thank you for joining me in this never-ending quest to learn how to teach better. Today on episode 80 of the podcast is Dr. Stephanie Lusk and Dr. Mandy Perryman. Both are professors in the Department of Leadership and Counselor Education at the University of Mississippi. And we are talking with Stephanie and Mandy today because they have started training folks in mental first aid. And you're like, what, well, what is mental first aid? Exactly. That's, that's what we have them talking about. And hey, what does that have to do with teaching better? Exactly. That's what we're going to talk about. And so I'm not going to delay too much. Let's get, jump right into it. Here's my conversation with Dr. Stephanie Lusk and Dr. Mandy Perryman. Stephanie, Mandy, welcome to Amazon Planet. How are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty, I'm pretty good. How are you guys this morning? Good. And Mandy, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks. Glad to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, hey, this is exciting. Uh, one, this is a kind of a, a, a first to get the, the counseling, counselor education, get the duo coming, coming into Amazon Planet. This is great. Uh, but just a, real quick, you both are associate professors in counselor education? No, no, I'm wrong. Oh. No, Dr. Les Smith is full professor. Full we professor. Around well, here, here, I'm cheers to that. Thank Fantastic. you very much. Thank cheers you very much. Professor, professor Lusk. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes. Well, we'll start with you, Professor Lusk. What, what led you to, to here, to being full professor at the University of Mississippi? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I've been in academia now for about 20 years, so it's about time, right, for that, yeah, that full yeah. professor uh, promotion right. there. Um, but I, I knew I always wanted to be a teacher. I uh, wasn't quite sure what I wanted to teach, but I, I wanted to work with adolescents. And I started college and realized that I did not like adolescents very much. So <laughs> what else could I do? How else could I, you know, do do teaching, uh, do the thing that I, I loved and felt that I was called to do? So got a PhD, uh, ended up teaching at a small HBCU initially. Uh, in an addiction studies program. Oh, wow. uh, and so my uh, my experience, my love for this field, so substance use and mental health disorders has really and truly grown from there. Mm. Um, so at this point, I'm really focused on uh, medical marijuana and how that can be used to treat chronic pain and other um, disabilities and chronic disorders. Uh, and I'm also very much interested in opioid use disorder. So a lot of my research over the past couple of years have really focused uh, on those two areas. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. And Dr. Perriman, what, what, what led you here to the University yes. of Mississippi? Well, I'm an associate professor here. Uh, not, not a, not a full professor just yet. 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 <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, yes. Um, but I would say my journey started early at four years old in pre-K, whenever the teacher would leave the room, I would climb on the table and put my hand on my hip and point at the other children and tell them what to do. <laughs> so obviously I was destined to teach. And uh, once I got into college, I really had um, a love for psychology and people and issues. And so that led me into counseling. And all these years later, here I am. I've been a counselor educator since 2005, and I've done that in New Mexico and Virginia, and now Mississippi. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, we're glad to have both of you here. This is great. Yes. So um, I wanted to have the two of you on uh, because at the, wow, now the semester goes by fast. It's like at yes. the beginning of the semester, uh, you all were presenting something on uh, talking about mental first aid. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, just initially, I'm like, well, what a, what a great idea um, first. And then thinking about, well, and just wanting to learn more. And, and you know, here at Amina Planet, we're, we're thinking about how can we learn how to teach better? And it seems like uh, this idea of mental first aid can help us learn how to teach better a little bit. So what is mental first aid? Maybe we, we could just start there. Like, Sure. Sure. Uh, Youth Mental Health First Aid is a public education program. And what it does is it teaches participants how to recognize and respond to the signs and symptoms of a mental health challenge. So a very timely topic, um, widespread, anybody, K through 12 personnel or anybody that works with young people can benefit from this training. It's originated in Australia back in 2000, and now it's in over 25 countries. So um, it it also, one thing that we like about it, being in academia, is it's all evidence-based content. And there's a lot of research that's done to make sure that the program is effective, and it is valid, and it, it is able to help people. So um, we're pretty, we're pretty proud of that. And because we have a grant from SAMHSA, we're uh, able to offer this program for free to anybody in North Mississippi that's interested in it. So we're hoping that we can help a lot of people who can then help a lot of people. So that's our goal. Nice. Well, what's an example of something where you would see like mental first aid, like Yeah, absolutely. So let's just say somebody works in the school, maybe they're a bus driver or they work in the cafeteria or they're a history teacher. Right. And so they um, they know these kids because they see them all the time. They know their personalities. And so they see that uh, a student is maybe not sitting with their friends at lunch or they see that they're starting to isolate some or um, sleeping a lot in class or things that are out of the norm for that student. And so maybe they're able to recognize that something looks different or seems sort of different um, in class or in the hallways, but they don't really know what to do about it. So what we do in Youth Mental Health First Aid is we're able to um, put a light on what those symptoms look like. So they were right to notice that something was different, but then also how to connect that young person to the kind of resources that they need. So we're we're looking to help empower people to be able to take action and um, reach out and assist people when they need help. So, Stephanie, it kind of sounds like this is almost like a bridge where, like, we had you know you had this maybe if you're a teacher and you're building relationships and you've kind of thought about well I see some things that are going on with this kid I don't quite have the ideas about it but maybe mental first aid gives me some like new sensors to kind of see what's going on. And then on the other, on the other side to say like, well, what do I do about it? Like, well, how do I make those connections? Is that what, is that what you're, that's what this is? Yeah, it's very much um, that, Um, you know, and it's really interesting because we are all very familiar with uh, the temperament and maybe the personalities of, of children and adolescents. You know, a lot of times you'll see that, As kids start to get older, there's a little moodiness. There could be, you know, some other things that are just considered to be normal, growing, and developing angst. Uh, And sometimes we will write behaviors off as just that. So if you have a kid who's sleeping in class, as Mandy noted, or if you have a kid whose grades may have dropped a little bit, um, sometimes we may associate, associate that with being that 
he's just being an adolescent or she's just, you know, having um, a bad time at this particular point in time. So we think it's really important that teachers and K-12 personnel are able to differentiate between those two things. Because one day it could really and truly be that I just didn't get enough sleep or I didn't have time to have breakfast this morning. But on the other side of that, it could be that there's really and truly something happening, something that needs attention and something that may actually need professional attention. So this program is to train individuals to to recognize those symptoms and to to intervene, to step in uh, if additional support is needed. Nice. Nice. And I'm guessing, you know, and I know in the handout that you handed out, there's mention of COVID-19. Um that there's, yeah, there's the need for this has to be increased because of COVID nineteen. My my guess, and maybe yeah, you're nodding. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've seen that not just for young people, but for all people. We know that substance abuse is out the roof right now. Domestic violence has escalated. Um, depression and anxiety, which are always at the forefront for us as counselors and counselor educators, um, those things, it's, it's like it's like gas on a fire. Yeah. So uh, as a world, we've gone through a trauma together and uh, we're trying to push our way through that. But the psychological and emotional and social ramifications of that are going to be with us for a long time. And it does affect young people in a slightly different way. They may not be um, able to verbalize as much of what they're feeling or um, that sort of thing, or be able to express the need for connection the way maybe we're able to as adults. And so, yeah, definitely all of the pandemic has affected young people and their mental health, um, which, as we know, affects their their schoolwork and everything else. Do you find that and I'm, and I'm just going to dig, ask one more question down this line. So I have a theory right now, and it's we'll just flesh it out right now, right live. <laughs> Is uh, there's like it feels like there's this COVID hangover happening, yeah. and where some folks are like, hey, that's done, it's over, back to normal, right? Mm-hmm. And versus like. And and they're trying to get back to normal, but like like even but it's almost like there's this hangover, like there's this sluggishness to like there's like, you know, even if it's like uh getting in, you know, like a going to your first big conference, like for uh, those in academia like us, like for the first time, they're like all of a sudden it's like, ooh, this is different, right? It's not just back to normal, right? And yeah. there's all these sorts of things, even like giving kids uh who have been told for you know, a year, year or so, like social distance, masks, washing hands, like all that stuff. And all of a sudden it's like, no, we're just going to stop that. Um, I don't know. It, it seemed like there's some like big swings that, that, you know, we're expecting kids to adjust like that and probably not seeing that as much and, and that there's got to be ramifications. There's got to be. Absolutely. So I think, like you said, for a lot of people, uh, they're rebounding kind of quickly, right? They they seem to be resilient. They're back on their feet. They're you know okay, that's that's done. What's next? Um, but that that's a lot different than pretending nothing happened. And so mm-hmm. in the world of mental health, we know uh, we don't pretend that nothing happened. That that's what comes around and gets you in the end. And so rather to be able to process these things out, to be able to talk about them, um, to talk to kids about the difference between then and now and how they're feeling 
and the fears that they had a year ago, they didn't go anywhere, you know, so still being able to address those things and all the loss that young people have experienced, um, people that they've lost, relationships that they've lost, um, some of the normalcy or their typical schedule. We know how important schedule is for kids um, that has really been been altered. And, And even that is really not back to normal so to speak. We're still doing a lot of virtual stuff. We're still Mm -hmm. connecting in some different kinds of ways. And so, I, you know, it will be a while, I think, before as a community, we've sort of settled back into what does life look now? What's the new normal? That sort of thing. And so we have to remember that that kids are looking to us to pull them, pull them through and into that, not not leave them behind thinking that they're tiny adults and they're doing just fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd like to just piggyback really quickly on that with, with a few things yeah. here. Uh, the first one really and truly is exposure. Uh, if we think about it, we have a group of kids, you know, particularly earlier or younger kids who missed maybe kindergarten, first grade, some of second grade. Yeah. So their ability to, you know, make those early connections with their teachers or to understand what school is like and how it operates on a schedule and a routine. So there's a large group of of kids who did not have that and they didn't have that for three years. So them trying to adjust to that and as Mandy noted, make those connections or figure out how to um, develop new friendships or how to respond to social situations that they may not have experienced before. So I think that that's a really big piece for younger kids in particular. Um, Another one is the fact of trauma. A lot of times we think that trauma is this huge, horrible thing that happened to an individual, but traumas can be really small too. So if you think about kids who um, may not have had um, breakfast or they may not have had food, there's there's some food insecurity there. That's a small trauma. Uh, If you have a kid who is living with parents who may have mental illnesses or substance use disorders, that's a piece of trauma. So Mm -hmm. these kids are not in an environment where their teachers or the, you know, the, the workers in the cafeteria can notice these things. So as a result of these small traumas, they're coming back to school now after this pandemic, still holding on to that. And mental illness, substance use disorders are not things that we just get over very quickly. So we also we have that piece as well. And I think, um, you know, those things coupled with, as Mandy noted, the, the loss of friendships, the loss of family members, the loss of routine uh, has had a major impact on kids in the K-12 system, and it's going to take some time to get over, or it's going to take some time to process and move through. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we basically kind of like answer this question about like, why is mental first aid important for teachers to know? But I don't know, do you have any like, uh, I mean, and you talked, Mandy, about the research backing behind this, but why is it? I'll give you, I'd still give it to you. Why is mental first aid important for teachers to know? Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's worth uh, a little more attention on that. I think it's important for teachers to know because again, we might know that something's different with a, with a student, or we might notice that something is um, not the same in their pattern or their personality, but we may not know what to do about it. So this really is about empowering people to be able to say, you know, there might be something going on here um, with this kid that that might 
might look like depression or there might be something going on here. Um, maybe there is something going on at home. How do I open up a conversation and a dialogue with that student um, that's appropriate and that, you know, can can be open ended and non-judgmental so that they can tell me what I need to know so I can get them to the person um, that can best help them, which which might be the counselor, but it also might be the school nurse or it might be that trusted coach that, yeah. you know, they'll they'll open up and talk to. And it's not always us. And so um, that would be something that teachers would need to know, too, is uh, not to get your feelings hurt <laughs> if it's not you. Um, so and, and to be patient, because, you know, again, as adults, if I ask you a question, I expect you to tell me the answer. But um, as kids, they may not be ready for that. And so what the training does is it just looks at some of these more nuanced things. You know, how do we open up that conversation? How do we uh, get on their level, that sort of thing, to be able to get more information to make those connections? And just really quickly, um, and I, I won't say I'm a bit corny and I love a bit uh, pun, uh, but FaceTime. Um, you know, if you think about where kids spend the most of their time, they're in front of their teachers, they're in front of their coaches, uh, they're in front of individuals who are at the school all day along with them. So because teachers and, and other personnel in these systems have more contact, have more FaceTime, uh, with these students, oftentimes they are better able to identify changes or, um, you know, problems that the um, that their students may experience as opposed to a parent who only sees them in the morning or maybe in the afternoon when they're helping with homework. Yeah. Um, teachers and administrators are also more likely to know their family history. Um, so they may know who their parents are. Uh, they may know if there's um, any problems that are happening in that home. So because they're in a very unique position, again, of seeing them all the time or of, of having some idea of what's happening in their lives, they are better able, again, to um, notice if there's changes, if there's something going on that may need some additional attention. Nice. Yeah, I mean, the, the power of a teacher is, you know, and like, again, those are those relationships that they're building up and then and they do notice those things and the FaceTime. Yes. Yeah. FaceTime. <laughs> so what do you say to someone who, you know, like, yeah, you know, I, I can see the importance of this, but they're just afraid you know, and they're afraid of, you know, intervening. They're afraid of doing something wrong. Like, what, what would you say to that, that person? Yeah, it's easy, uh, I think, for us because we have I don't even know how many years of, of counseling background education. And um, my dad used to say more degrees than a thermometer, right? <laughs> so it's, it's easy for us to say, oh, yeah, approach these kids, use these counseling skills, right? right. But I can certainly understand who somebody who um, what they know how to do is teach. What they know how to do is get kids excited about learning. You know, that's really the foot that they lead with. And so here we come in and we ask them to, oh, yes, and also, right, uh, to do these things. But what I would say to someone who um, wants to be able to help and wants to be able to do this is to be brave, right? Mm -hmm. Approach the kid that's alone uh, at recess. Talk to the kid that um, none of the other kids are talking to. Make a connection. In counseling, we call that being the other. Um, so you're not like most of the adults that they know, right? Because you're you're not you're not telling them what to do. You're not judging them. 
Um, you're not telling them, um, well, when I was your age, you know, we talk about that in training yeah. is like the kiss of death, they, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so the most sort of well-intended folks can get stifled and not do anything. And that's that's what we don't want to see. It's OK to be clumsy. It's OK to fumble through it. What's important is you're sending the message, no matter what you're saying, you're sending the message to that young person that you're there and that they matter and you care about them and you're you're available to help. And so for that, you you really can't get it too wrong. So mm. be brave yeah. and take this training. Yeah. I would say that uh, knowledge is definitely power. Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, as a teacher, you may have had one class um, that focused on mental health or maybe uh, behavioral disorders and that sort of thing. So they may not be comfortable in broaching, um, you know, some of the issues that they may see happening in the classroom. So what's really great about this training is that we let people know that you're not there to diagnose, you're not there to provide counseling, we just need for you to recognize these symptoms and get your student to the appropriate help. Um, so we are, um, you know, what does depression look like? What does anxiety look like? And again, how do we talk about that? How do we make the connection so that our students can get the support that they need on the other side of that? Nice. So how can someone get trained in mental first aid? Take that question. <laughs> oh, yes, I will. I will take that question. So they can contact me. And so my email is just my last name, Perryman, P-E-R-R-Y-M-A-N, at olemiss.edu. And I will be happy to give them information on training. We typically uh, go out to schools where they need us. And uh, we've been to Cenotopia. We've been to Holly Springs, really all the bright and vivid spots of North <laughs> Mississippi, honestly. Um, tourist destinations, if you will. <laughs> so we go out to schools and we provide that there if that's what works best for them. It's a one day training. And then we've also done some virtual trainings for like Mississippi school counselors and um, some ed leadership students. So we can do it that way if that's a better fit. But anybody interested in training can let me know. Um, we can train 20 people at a time or we can create a, a calendar where we're training your entire school system. So all you have oh. to do is reach out to me and let me know and we will um, work on when and where and how. And um, like I said before, it's a free training that we're able to do because we're funded by SAMHSA. So we, we really want to be able to offer this to anybody who wants to take it. It has an online component of some pre-work that you do and then the in-person training. Then you receive a certificate as a first aider, youth mental health first aider, and that's good for three years. So great thing to have, great thing to put there on your resume, um, great thing to infuse that into your school. And so this is for and just want to make sure I'm clear, like if anyone that's working in maybe even down to pre-K all the way through mm -hmm. high school. Yeah, high Absolutely. school, college. We're talking even about uh, the possibility okay. of working here um, in Guyton Hall with teacher education. Hey, hey. Maybe those, hey, maybe those yeah. students who are about to jump out there into the workforce, um, maybe they want to bring this training with them. 
So yeah, it's really applicable to anybody who's working with young people. Yeah. And, and, you know, and even uh, parents, and, you know, we have a very um, special interest in getting parents involved as well. Um, so anybody who is connected to a child in the K-12 system in any way, we would love to have them come and do this training with us. Wow. Nice. Yeah. I, I mean, like, you know, I just think of all the different ways, you know, I'm a pretty experienced parent and like even thinking about some of the coaching experiences that I've had, yeah. you know, like, and just, you know, this probably would be good to like, cause of these interactions you're having with kids, like as you're developing this relationship through coaching and yeah. been a good thing to have as well. So yeah, yeah, excellent. So we will put that, so we have show notes and we'll put your contact information in the show notes. Um, and so that people can uh, go there and, and contact you and figure out ways to get themselves trained. Now, Great. given you're both experienced teachers I want to ask you each this question about, about your, your road to, to teaching better. So what is the best thing you have learned to help you be a better teacher or to help you teach better? Oh, gosh. Who wants I, to go first? Stephanie okay. wants to go first. Do I? I don't think I want to go, to go first. I was going to jot some notes down here. Um, wow, Joel. I, I think the thing that first came to mind is to... Uh, not take myself so seriously. Um, I remember, uh, you know, being right out of my doc program in my first position, and there was a need to be perfect. Um, I was a lot younger than, than the majority of my students at that point, so I felt like I had something to prove. Uh, and I think that, for me, that made teaching a lot less enjoyable. Um, so over the years, I've definitely relaxed. Uh, and I do, I, I take what I do very seriously, but I don't take myself very seriously. Uh, and I think another piece of that too is being open to learn from students. We have a lot of students who have different experiences for me. I have a lot of students who come into our program who've had some amazing clinical work. Um, so I love that for me, teaching is really this reciprocal relationship where I have an opportunity to share with students. Students have an opportunity to share with me. Uh, and I think the third piece of that is to never stop learning. Mm -hmm. uh, there is always something new, something bigger, something better that we can do in terms of serving our students, uh, in terms of serving individuals with substance use disorders and, and mental illness. Um, so I want to be um, a forever learner. Um, I'm, I'm always popping into a class or two if I can throughout, you know, the year. Um, so I think that those are the three biggest things for me. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Now I feel compelled to come up with three things. Yeah, yeah. There's, <laughs> there's power there. in the number three. Yes. <laughs> uh, for me, I would say the thing that I have learned that's making me a better teacher is to be creative. So I, I really think everyone learns a little differently. And anytime I can get my students in action, that's really what I want to do. I'm very experiential in my teaching. I like them to be doing things. And in the counseling field, um, you know, we're, we're lucky because there's a lot of different things we can do to put ourselves in our client's shoes and we do a lot of empathy building exercises and we do a lot of self-exploration. So when counselors have a lot of insight, uh, they're better able to help their clients because they know themselves and they know 
um, what about our own stuff can get in the way when we're doing that work. So um, experiential teaching that that really lends itself to what we're in. But I like to create a game over material that I think is kind of dry or I like to um, come up with maybe some expressive things if to do in the classroom um, and get students out of their comfort zone. I think you can ask anyone that I teach or have ever taught that my job is to push them as far outside of that comfort zone as I can. Yeah. And that um, I think I'm fairly successful at that. <laughs> so they don't always enjoy it and that's okay. And I guess that would bring me to my second point is they don't have to like what you're doing to learn from it. I uh, tell my students all the time. Now, remember, these are grownups, but I tell them all the time, tough love is still love, right? Mm -hmm. So um, so it's okay if they don't think it's fun or it's okay if that's not the way they like to do something as long as you can show that they're learning. So I would say be creative, push outside of the comfort zone. Um, don't, don't hang on to this uh, need to be liked or popular but rather always ask yourself, how can I get my students to learn? Is there a different way that I can do this that might engage them and um, help them discover something new? So and then lastly, since I have to have three, I would say never rely solely on technology. Uh, <laughs> it will for sure let you down. So if everything you're going to do depends on PowerPoints and Wi-Fi and some cool TikTok something or another that you found. Uh, have a backup because it, it won't be there when you need it. So always make sure you're well prepared. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so we have the mental health first aid training. They can contact uh, Mandy and we'll put, again, we'll put the email, the contact information in the show notes. Um, anything else to promote? I mean, y'all are, amazing folks and like you got anything else out there uh, articles or book, anything else you want to promote yeah I, I, <laughs> you go all right so i would definitely like to promote our masters and our doctoral program uh, we are always recruiting for the best and, and brightest here uh, not just in mississippi but nation worldwide we do have some international students in our program uh, but because we recognize that there is such a need uh, for individuals to understand uh, mental health and substance use disorders, uh, we want to train as many individuals as we can, not just with youth mental health first aid, but, you know, for those getting master's and doctoral degrees. We need master level clinicians who can go out and do this work. We need doctoral students who will go out and teach another cadre of uh, master students to do this work. Uh, it's never ending. Uh, we will always have mental illness. We will always have substance use disorders. So it's important that individuals are trained uh, and that they become licensed so that we can provide these services. So that's that's my number one promotion. And, and then Dr. Lasker, you uh, in charge of the the doctoral program is that, am I, I am. Right? I'm, I'm currently the coordinator of the doctoral program. So we would love for folks, even for folks who have been out practicing for a while, we would love to have you back. Um, you guys actually make some of the very best students. Uh, and I learned so much from you all because of all of your practical experience. All right. So we'll put your contact information, but we'll also, yeah. we can also link to the programs 
that yes. you mentioned in there. Absolutely. Okay. Anything else to promote? Yeah, she she totally took my line. I was going <laughs> to say um, for the master's program, if anybody, um, if this sparks your interest and this is a way that you're wanting to connect with people and you want more training in that, you see yourself as a counselor one day, a school counselor or a mental health counselor, we're going to have a virtual information session about our program on January 26th. Hey. So save the date and uh, you can email me for more information. I don't have time on that yet, but I will. And then we talked to the Career Center here on campus earlier this morning, and we're going to have a counseling preview day here on campus February the 7th at 12.15. So if you're already on campus, you want to stop by and learn a little bit more about our program, that would be great. In, in February, there's always a free application weekend. Yes. So for any graduate program that you're applying to, um, you can get that fee waived for yourself. And then our deadline for the master's program is a March 1st deadline. So, and it's a hard one. So yes. <laughs> make sure if you're interested, you get all those materials into us. And as Joel said, we'll have all that linked um, to our website where you can get all the information that you need about uh, the admission process. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining me on Amazon Planet. Thank you. Happy to be part of the planet. Absolutely. I, I love podcasts. I listen to them all the time, but this is the first time I've ever actually been a part, an active part uh, of a podcast. So it, it was really fun to be here today. Oh, yes. Well, you, you. Now you've made two divas. So there's no stopping us now. That's, That's right. right. <laughs> there we go. Mental, for, mental health first aid. Which makes sense when you think about it, you know, is, is something where maybe it's one of those like skills that sometimes you attribute to teachers and they're like naturally gifted at it. Like, ah, oh, they kind of notice something's wrong. And so, but this gives the training, the expertise, the vocabulary possibly to make those connections to where it's I'm noticing something to now I can, you know, recommend appropriate action. So. Uh, I'm excited for them doing all that training around mental health first aid. It's something that, you know, we need more of, uh, more people aware of these issues and, and they're going out and doing it, which is great. Uh, hey, now to the mailbag. And again, mailbag, you can send questions, comments, and suggestions to joel at amadonplanet.com. Uh, question I got recently was, what professional organizations should I be a part of? Um, I think here in the podcast, we've talked a lot about professional organizations. Uh, I'm a big supporter of it. We had John Staley uh, a couple of years ago now talk about the power of professional organizations. He used to be the president of NCSM, the National Council of Supervisors of Mathematics, and also just is someone that uses, le leverages organizations to try to make movement on issues, right? And so... I believe in the power of professional organizations. I believe, uh, um, I mean, I'm a part of a few myself. And so thinking about like, what is your area? So for me, I love teaching teachers how to teach. And so that makes sense. And it's specifically in the area of mathematics. And so it makes sense for me to join an organization like the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators, AMTE, of which I'm a part and I'm also a member of leadership in. Um, one group that I've been a part of since I began teaching mathematics was the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics and their various affiliates. So when I was in Wisconsin, I was a part of the Wisconsin Math Council 
And now that I'm in Mississippi, I'm part of the Mississippi Council of Teachers of Mathematics, or MCTM. And and that's what's nice about these organizations is a lot of times there's national ones, and if they're large enough, there's national organizations and there's local affiliates. Um, some other organizations that I've been a part of is uh, the American Educational Research Association, which is a huge, huge organization that has several different, um, I don't know, I'd say, well, divisions. Uh, it's got like, the divisions are lettered, and I think they go, the one that I'm uh, most part of is to K, so that tells you about how many divisions there are. But then it also has special interest groups in it as well, and I'm a part of the special interest group for research in math education. Um, and, you know, so when I look for it in an organization is, one, do I feel like the, it's my people, right? Are those my people, the people that care about the things that I care about? And the one that I align with most, I guess, is AMTE, which wasn't what I initially started with. Like when I was at Wisconsin as a doctoral student, there was the psychology, PMENA, which is the Psychology of Mathematics Education in North America chapter. Uh, that was an organization that we were part of. AERA was an organization that a lot of people were part of, and NCTM. But more and more, it seems like AMTE became the place that I align with because they care deeply about teaching. They want it to get better, so they look at research around it. And then also, too, they just want to look at what they can do to support it, to help it get better. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think you got to find your professional organizations. One, it, it's, a, it's an outlet beyond your current context. So if it's your school, if it's your district, if it's your whatnot, to, like, look to to get better right? Rather than looking just from within your organization, like within your school district, within your institution, how can you look beyond it? And if you're looking beyond it towards something that uh, it kind of stands for what you care about, like AMTE or like NCTM or something like that, then that's, that's helpful. That's helpful. And so finding that place, finding your people and, and, and invest in it and, and be a Come part of it, and so don't just join it. So there is joining it and and taking advantage of the resources. And you know, even last week we talked about grants, or last time, last podcast we talked about grants and things that you could take advantage of through like NCTM. And most organizations have some sort of funding stuff that's available. They'll have resources. They'll have whatever. They'll have they'll have things available, webinars, whatever, so you can get better at the thing that you care about. So there's a way to to take. So then there's a way also to hopefully to interact, right? To, to get, to interact within the organization in order to develop connections and relationships. That's another thing. That's another benefit to you as a person, but then also to engage and to invest in the organization. Like what can you invest into the organization and help get something out of it? So for example, I like thinking about, um, like at AMTE, they have a manuscript, review group that meets during the conference. And I like thinking about that group as a place where, I mean, I'm usually reviewing the manuscripts. I'm not um, submitting a manuscript at this point in time in my career. And I know that over the time, I've gotten opportunities where people have looked at my work, told me what's good about it, told me how to improve it, and ended up being a better product. So I was invested in, now I, it's my turn to now invest in others. And so it provides, the organization provides an opportunity for me to invest in others. And I like that as well. So that's, so when I'm like thinking about organization, is it a place where I can 
you know, gain some stuff for myself, invest in myself and my development in the thing I care about, to interact with others, create those connections, uh, develop those relationships. And then three is an opportunity to invest in others, whether it be through stuff like a manuscript review group or if it's mentoring or, or if it's, um, well, even too, like we're making podcasts, uh, the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast is something that we're producing for the Association of Math Teacher Educators Organization in order to provide value to some of its members on, hey, here's what it means to be a teacher of math teachers and providing access to people's expertise and experiences so that others can get better, okay? So that's the mailbag. So again, if you have any, uh, so thanks for sending that question. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can send them to joel at amadonplanet.com. Appreciate those that send those in. Uh, and that's, that's going to do it for this episode of the Amadon Planet podcast. Show notes can be found at amadonplanet.com forward slash episode 80. Now, for those of you looking for ways to support the podcast, um, right now, I just want you to submit those questions, comments, or suggestions to the mailbag by sending an email to joel at amadonplanet.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and review and share this episode, which will allow more people looking for similar content to find it. As always, you can follow at Amadon Planet on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or like the Amadon Planet Facebook page. In addition, you can subscribe to the Amazon Planet Download, which contains teaching resources and updates from Amazon Planet. That's find anywhere where you can join the email list button at Amazon Planet. Finally, check out the Amazon Planet store, Amazon Planet Bookshop. Links in the footer at AmazonPlanet.com where your purchases support the production costs of the podcast. Thank you for spending time at Amazon Planet. Thanks to Stephanie Lusk and Mandy Perryman for sharing their time and expertise. Thanks to Matt Mifflin for the music in this episode. And finally, thank you to all of you out there for teaching, for learning to teach better and to be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you've been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace. Peace.